0: Good morning. morning. Somebody's alarm just went off. It's time to wake up. <laughs> Heard it just as the video was quitting. Um, hey, speaking of alarms, like, so I'm old enough, like, you know, we used to have to set your clocks back. Now your, your phone just does it for you. You know, you go to bed. But I, I go to bed on a night like tonight, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I hope my, cl- my, my, my phone remembers. You know, it's like, I hope it doesn't, you know, like I'm, I'm gonna sleep until 11 or something. You know, at my age, I'm, I'm gonna be up anyway because I'm gonna have to pee. <laughs> but, um, yeah, <clears throat> it's a good way to start, isn't it? I, I mean, we talk really real at the Experience Group. If you're listening online, welcome. It's your first time. Uh, this, is, this is the way we talk at the Experience Community Church. Actually, it really is the way we talk, and that's why I, one of the reasons I love the experience is because we go through entire books of the Bible. We go line by line, verse by verse. And you know why we do that? We do that, well, we do it for a lot of reasons, but one of which is because then you can't skip the hard parts. Um, you, can't, you can't just skip the hard parts. And you know what? We're going to talk about one of the hard parts today. We're going to talk about God's got some standards for us, He's got some standards for us, and uh, it's about living righteously. Pastor Corey talked about it last week um, in chapter three. Um, Is it possible to live righteously? Um, We're going to talk about sexual immorality today. Um, You know, this is, I I, got to tell you, in in 30 plus years of pastoral ministry, I, I don't think I've ever been in a church where the pastor talked about sexual immorality. I think that's wrong, I think that's a mistake. Um, I'm so glad that we don't skip the hard parts here. Um, I'm glad we talk about the things. In fact, just Friday, we had over 450 men here talking about sex and intimacy. Why? Because it's a real thing. Because it's a real issue. Sex and intimacy are real issues, and we talk, we talk about real issues. So I really love that about us. Um, anyway, um, Pastor Cory in chapter three, we're, we're in 1 Thessalonians, I'm gonna be in chapter four today. Um, he talked about living righteously last week, about uh, living blamelessly before the Lord, holy before the Lord. Is it possible to do these things? In fact, one of the things he said, if you if you haven't seen it, go back and watch it. He said, "Boy, I wish I would have underlined that we need to live victoriously." Um, that's so good. We need to live victoriously, and Paul continues that in First Thessalonians four here this this weekend. As we look at God's standards for holy holy living, this, this call to sanctification, which is this big churchy word for just being set apart for God's use in His alone. That's all sanctification means, just being set apart for His use, right? So we're going to talk about how we're called to live holy lives by God's standards, and then how, as Christians, we're we're enabled to do that because we can't do it on our own. We just cannot. So you should have gotten a notes handout before you came in if we haven't run out. If we did run out, it doesn't matter. You can download the Experience um, app, Experience Christian Community, Experience Christian... Ch- I do not It's the Experience app. I do <laughs> I, I don't ever remember that. Um, ECC, um, it has it on there. It's a great app. It'll have everything I'm going to say. Everything I'm going to say is going to be on the screens. Um, but the good thing about the app, it has a scripture in there. Or you can bring your Bible with you. If you brought your Bible with you, it's on page 1906 in my Bible. I don't know if that helps you or not. Uh, but I'm gonna pray and, uh, and we're gonna get started. We're gonna jump right into 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm so glad that you're here. How many of you got up like early this, this morning? Because like, not because you wanted to, but because like, you know, of the fallback thing. I think like there's this whole thing, you know, I, I think a lot of us, me included, I, I go, I'm, I'm gonna go to bed early, I'm gonna get that hour of sleep, and then I don't. And then when we spring forward, I'm actually losing two hours a year, I think. I don't, we're gonna pray, here we go. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for the sunshine and the opportunity that we have just to gather in your name, to learn Be in community. Father, I pray that you would speak through me this morning that nothing I would say would be Greg, that everything I say would be influenced by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for nonprofits like mentor leaders, Lord, that are taking the gospel into all the world. Bless them, all the nonprofits that we partner with. Bless all the churches in this community and beyond, God, who are lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Instructions, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God. There it is, right there. As you are doing, do this even more, for you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is God's will, your sanctification that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. we we also previously told and warned you for God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. I love the fact that Paul is going to encourage them right off the bat. In fact, this whole book of First Thessalonians is a book of encouragement. But it's not just encouragement, it's a book of encouragement and challenge as well, because he's saying, hey, you're doing well, you're doing these good things, but I want to encourage you to do them even more and more. And he says it a couple times, even in just this chapter. He said it in a couple chapters previous. He says, you need to live lives that are worthy of the call of God. He has placed on your life. That's in 1 Thessalonians 2, just a couple of chapters. Now, listen, he's not mad at them. And I want you to know that this morning. I want you to know that this morning that I'm, I'm not mad at you. In fact, church, I love you so much. And that's why I'm willing to stand here and tell you the truth this morning. I hope that it's not offensive to you unless that offense brings you to repentance. Are you with me? So I'm. I'm not mad, and we're going to talk about some hard things. I've already said that this morning. We're going to talk about some hard things, but he's not dissatisfied with this church at Thessalonica. My goodness, he was only with them three weeks. If you go back and look at the story in Acts 16 and 17, you say he said we were with them three Sabbaths. We've been here 13 years. And Paul says, we were just there a short time with you, so I'm encouraging you to do these things more and more. You're doing well. In other words, I'm getting entangled in the things that are right before me, so I need to back up and look at the bigger picture, right? We need to back up and look at the bigger picture and be reminded of what God is doing in this bigger picture because sometimes in the midst of opposition, sometimes in the midst of persecution, we get discouraged, nobody else, just me. We get discouraged. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, says, consider it pure joy. Now, that's a struggle when you face trials and temptations of many kinds. Because why? Why? Because it produces endurance in you. It produces character in you. So we're supposed to face these things with actual joy in our heart that, that God is If we look at the bigger picture, God is working in our lives. That's the great thing, right? That he's working in our lives. And this entire letter to this church is to compel them as Christians to live a holy life, and there are things, there are standards that he's going to lay out here for us, even in the midst of opposition, so that he encourages them, and you and I need to be about encouraging each other. And all the more, the writer to the Hebrews says, As we see this day approaching, what day? The second coming of Christ. So we do this so that we can encourage each other. Because listen, how we live matters. There should be a visible difference. There should be a visible difference between someone who is a follower of Jesus Christ and someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ. They should behave differently, they should act differently. In fact, there should be an audible difference in a follower of Jesus Christ and one who is not. There should be in our vernacular, in our conversation, in our everyday life, the only difference can't just be that we go to church. That, is not, that does not a follower of Jesus Christ make. Is it good? Sure, it's good. Serving is good. Giving is good. There are those who serve and who give who are not followers, however, of Jesus Christ. There are those who attend church who are not followers of Jesus Christ. They're just coming to check a box. And this is what Paul is saying. This, how we live matters. So we're supposed to live a life, listen, we're supposed to live a life worthy of the call of Christ on our lives because we're living in this great anticipation of his return. So how we live each and every day matters because we are examples of Christ-like behavior. So we live in such a way to please God. And listen, we think for some reason we have gotten this in our minds that that's an optional thing. It's not optional for the follower of Christ. Living to please Christ, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of being a Christian, to live in such a way to please our Father in heaven. If not, listen, do everybody a favor and just don't tell anybody you're a Christian. If you're not gonna act like a Christian, just don't tell them you are one. It's just easier that way. And Paul says, we do this through the Lord Jesus. I love that when he says that. The commands that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Listen, this is all about the authority of the word. That's all it's about. It's about the authority of the word. This isn't, Paul isn't writing them saying, hey, this is just a great idea. I'm just writing you because I think I need to increase the moral standards here in Roman culture. No, he's proclaiming this is the very word of God. And in a time, hear me today, when the word is under attack, we need to be able, as Christians, to make a clear distinction of the Bible and what it says, which is our authority and our own opinions. We need to make a clear distinction. There's too much out there. When I think of progressive Christianity, Right. This is one of those things. The reason, listen, I'm not against progressive Christianity. I'm against progressive Christianity because it's a slippery slope to zero Christianity, because it's all about. It's not. This isn't our authority in the word. The word isn't the our authority is us. That's what progressive Christianity says. My authority is. If I don't like what it says, I'm just not going to be obedient to that part of the Bible. You guys okay? Are you okay out there? Because listen, this is hard teaching, and I told you, it's hard teaching. But I love you, and I'm telling you these things because I love you. And really, I hope at the end of the day, you might still love me a little. I mean, there's a little bit there. Let's just be honest. But friends, the word is our authority, and we can't choose what we're gonna be obedient to and what we're not gonna be obedient to because God's will says it is for our sanctification. It is so that we can be made more and more into the image of God. Too often, I think people get this a little bit mixed up. Now listen, God does have specific wills in some instances. He really does. Whether or not I should date this person, what job I should take. And I have people come into my office or or I'll pray with people on the side of the stage at the end of the service. Like, Pastor Greg, would you pray with me? I'm doing this and I want to know what God's will is. Listen, the very, very specific will of God is that you would be obedient to him. The bigger will of his might be that you should take this job or that job. So listen, continue to pray about those things. I'm not saying not to, but be obedient in whatever way, in whatever direction, in whatever job, in whatever home, be obedient in those environments. Right, we are to live a life of purity and obedience. That's the bigger picture. That's the bigger picture. God's will is very specific in that we are to be obedient in everything we do. It's so interesting to me that instantly he talks about this being this, this learning to be under control. This this self-control being evidenced of the Holy Spirit. It's so interesting to me. And then the next slide is going to talk about, he, he jumps into like sexual immorality. It's crazy. It's crazy. But self-control, listen, self-control is evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. It's a learned behavior. He says, so learn to do this, not like the lustful passions of the Gentiles. So this, evidently, this doesn't happen automatically. This is a learned behavior. And let me tell you, it requires effort. We don't just pray, oh, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill me, and then I'm done. No, that's not the way, that's not the way it works. There is an effort on our parts of surrendering my will to the will of God. We surrender our will to the will of Christ. And this is one of the distinctives Paul talks about in the, in the Galatians. To the, to the Galatians, he says we are to live with the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness gentleness and self-control. That's one of those things that we learn. We don't we don't live like we used to live. We live with all the fruit of the spirit. Therefore we then surrender our will which takes effort. At least it does for me. I got to tell you sometimes it's a moment by moment effort. It depends what, what I'm doing, what I'm going through. If I'm driving in bad traffic in Murfreesboro, it's a moment by moment, I gotta tell you. That I surrender my own will, that I might get angry. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit needs to be alive and at work in me. And then he's understand we have to place our even our sexual desires under Christ's control. We realize the only person we control is ourself, right? That's the only person I can control, really, is me. And I have to learn this, and Paul says, so we don't offer our bodies to sin like we used to. He says this to the Roman church. He wrote this just a few years earlier to the church at Rome. He says, don't offer them as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. Sounds like effort, does it not? Sounds like I play a role, does it not? and offer your parts of, body, of, of your body to him as instruments of right, righteousness. Listen, you used to do this, he says in verse 19, but now offer them in slavery to righteousness that leads to holiness. Sounds like effort. Sounds like I play a role, that I'm constantly surrendering my will to the will of God that I'm constantly surrendering my desires to God's desires. And listen, sex was God's idea, guys. We need, if you're gonna talk about sexual immorality, if we're, gonna talk, if we're gonna put it in there and then contrast it in instantly with sanctification, then we need to understand that sex in and of itself is not a bad thing. That God created, it was his idea. But when he created it, he created it in the context of marriage. And marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman that God brings under his control. And when it deviates from those standards, it gets really messy and it gets really awful. And bad things happen. But when it doesn't deviate from his standards, it's a wonderful and a beautiful thing. It was his idea. So sex in and of itself isn't bad. It's when we deviate from his standards. Greg, what are his standards? He set those up in Genesis when he created man and woman. He created them for procreation as well as pleasure. And listen, his design is perfect. His design is perfect. It's when we deviate the, from that that it becomes imperfect and messy. And you know, I need us to, I, I think we need to further see in this text that he's not really talking just about sex. Actually, he's addressing from what was the previous chapter what is lacking in their faith. So this is, it must be something that they needed information on. It must be something that they needed to learn to control because he addresses it very specifically. Control your own bodies. And this is, if you've you've been around the church very long, this church very long, I love the way Pastor Corey teaches. He's kind of a historian. He brings history into this. And we know that the Roman culture was full of, just deviantness, sex was rampant in there, sexual identity issues were in there, perversions and all of these things. How many understand we're living in basically the same society? It's, It's almost the same here. So it's interesting to me that he brings this up, and yet it still applies to you and me today. Because sexual sin, as rampant as it is in our culture, is leading to brokenness. There's a reason that he address, addresses this for you and me. There's a reason that it's in the scriptures, that it's in the word, because all of this sexual confusion and all of the identity crisis that's going on with uh, transgender, listen, all of these things lead to broken lives. And you and I, as the, listen, we have done a terrible job as the church loving each other. I'm not talking about just loving the people who are confused. I'm talking about just loving each other. With the, you know, this is the only place we shoot our wounded. Seriously, it's ugly. We need to love people into the kingdom of God, and he's going to address that in just a minute. But listen, we, have, we are now reaping what we have sown for generations. And, G, and he says we're going to receive the just punishment because God is an avenger of those. I think it's even bigger than sex. It's about loving one another. It's about honoring each other. So it's bigger than that. So he says, live in holiness. Don't live in impurity, live in holiness. So here's the the thing about this whole sexual immorality. All of us have in some way participated in sexual immorality. So I want us to know this morning, if, and you you might be saying to yourself, well, Greg, I'm not married, I haven't had sex before marriage. Okay, maybe it's been in your mind. See, I don't know if it's been in action, but maybe it's been in thought. Maybe it's been in word. Maybe it's been in deed. But all of us have, in some way, participated in sexual immorality, but I need you to hear me this morning, there is hope. Because transformation is possible. Friends, transformation is possible through confession and repentance. We repent. In other words, we say, God, I'm sorry. And not just I'm sorry, but I'm going to do it again. No, I'm sorry enough to quit. I'm sorry enough to stop the sin business. I'm sorry enough to get out of it. In fact, Jesus said, and it's a metaphor when he was teaching, he said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge them out. And listen, that's how serious he wanted us to know sin was that we repent of that and we stop sinning. Just because there is grace doesn't mean that we continue to live in sin. Paul said, do we continue and live so that grace might increase? No, 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 by no means, he says. That's not, listen, we we participate in holiness. We participate and submit our will in obedience to Jesus Christ through confession and repentance. We receive the Holy Spirit, which is the only way, <laughs> we do this through the Holy Spirit, the only way to meet God's demands. The only way to do what Paul is talking about here, this entire call to sanctification, this entire call to live a holy life pleasing to God, the only way we do that is through the indwelling Spirit of God and allowing Him each and every day to have full reign in our lives. I was talking to a friend of mine, Gary, just a few weeks ago, we are meeting at at a Starbucks in Kroger, and we are talking about this thing called holiness, and he's like, Greg, you don't understand, I struggle with this, like, like I, I give my life to Jesus, and then, you know, the next day, I, I blow up again, I said, Gary, this is very simple, but it's not easy. Boy, there's a big difference, isn't there? Very simple, the simple part is we give our lives, we give, our sorry, we give the Holy Spirit rain, full rain in our lives, But we have to do that each and every day. We have to do that. And I told you just a minute ago, sometimes I have to do it moment by moment. So every morning, every day, multiple times a day, I'm allowing, in fact, imploring, calling the Holy Spirit to fill me once again, that I might be able to live in holiness by God's standards that he's called for me to live in. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, next part. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write to you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, there it is again, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that, everybody say, so that. Yes. You may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So he's talking about brotherly love. Boy, I tell you what, if you've been around the church, any, any church, should be, any church, any length of time, there's this recurring theme of love in the Bible. Is there not? There's a recurring theme that we are supposed to love each other. Love, God, love as God has taught us to love, he says, And in in fact, Jesus even said, as I have taught you, love others in John 13, 34. That we're supposed to love others and not just those in the church, but those outside the church, right? Those outside the church. And the crazier the world gets, the harder it is to love them. And the world has gotten crazy. Anybody with me? The world has gotten nuts. It's hard to love people. Sometimes it's hard to love people in the church, Sometimes maybe some of you, actually, Greg, it's getting a little hard to love you this morning. And I understand that. But but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, listen, don't just love those who love you. Even the pagans do that. Love those who don't love you. Love those who are hard to love. Love those who it's really, really difficult for you to love. Is that maybe that's a a brother or sister, maybe that's an aunt or an uncle, love those who are the unlovable to you. It says, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And Paul says in this text, in fact, do it even more. When it becomes so difficult, love them even harder so they'll see the love of Jesus. Do everything you can to love them. Church, we have done a pretty poor job at this because we're so quick to judge other people. We're so quick to judge those who are, problem, who are having problems with their sexual identity. or We're so quick to judge those who are struggling with sin. And we think that our job is to help them get cleaned up before they come into the church. That's not our job. Our job is to love them. Our job is not to change their behavior. Our job is to point them to Jesus and allow him to change their behavior. But sometimes, man, more often than not, the church is judged by the way that we love people or the lack thereof than our doctrine. People don't leave church because of the doctrines most of the time. They leave because they feel judged. They leave because we're not loving them, because we can't love them and walk with them through their sin, Listen, somebody walked with me through my sin. That's why I'm here today. Somebody walked with you through your sin. That's why you're here today. And maybe you're in the midst of it. And I want to tell you, we at The Experience want to walk through that with you. We don't, you to, we don't want you to leave here the same way you came here today. I want you to know but beyond anything else this morning, we love you. We care about you. That's why we're preaching the hard things of the gospel. And then he says, lead a quiet life. There's three things Paul insists on. He says, lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and and work hard with your hands. And these are all about the behavior of a follower of Christ. These all relate to the way we behave. So that, he says, we can win the the respect of outsiders. I guess there must have been issues with it, or he wouldn't have put it in there, right? Right? I guess there must have been issues with people being either busybodies or being idle or not doing enough or people not doing what they should be doing. I guess there must have been issues. Now, we don't have trouble at the experience with any of these things. (laughs) I get that. We don't have trouble with gossip here. You guys are so holy. We're so holy here. But listen, Paul challenges them to be responsible because we have a reputation to uphold. And it's not our own, it's our reputation that points to Jesus. So we live to win the respect of those who don't know Jesus. Do you know that the church is the only institution that exists for those who aren't here yet? We're the only institution who exists. We're we're the only institution, we're not here for us. We're here for those who aren't here. And then he says, mind your own business. I listened to another, um, another pastor preach on just this, this little bit of a text this week, and he said, in the Greek, this means mind your own business. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sounds, sounds right. In other words, handle your own stuff. This isn't about what your neighbor's doing. This isn't about popularity. This isn't about TikTok or Instagram or being an influencer, and listen, I don't have any problem with being an influencer on Instagram, TikTok or Facebook. That's fine. But if you're out there trying to create your own brand and trying to elevate who you are, then you're creating the wrong brand. We're supposed to mind our own business, and I think he actually, I think this would really, 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 really apply today. Why? Let me give you an example. This person's mad at this person because they're wearing a mask. This person's mad at that person because they're not wearing a mask. He's mad at her because she got vaccinated. She's mad at him because he didn't get vaccinated. Do I need to keep going? This person's mad at this person because they're having an affair. But this person's mad at this person because they still gossip at work. Mind your own business. Pay pay attention to what God is dealing with with you. Listen, there's things in my own life. I don't need to worry about the log in... In my eye, when you got a speck in yours, and I'm like, "Hey, you got a little something in there," and they're like, "Dude, you got a stick hanging out." <laughs> I need to mind my own business. I don't need to worry about my ma- honey. The neighbors got a pool. I guess we need, we're getting a pool. Hey, sweetheart, did you know that the neighbors got a boat? Tomorrow, let's go look at boats. We can't afford a boat, but you know, I'm willing to go in the hawk up to my neck because I got to keep up with my neighbors. No. Mind your own business. And don't, for heaven's sakes, stop being annoying Christians. What, what, do, what do I mean by that? Oh man, he's taken off his watch. He's gonna go a long time. Stop being so annoying. Be real for crying in a beer. Be real with people. Just be yourself. Talk about something like that's relevant. Not that the scripture isn't relevant, but tie it into like real life somehow. You know, I I was walking, this has been probably 30 years ago. Her name was Judy. Sorry, any Judys in here. (laughs) Her name was Judy. I'm walking by, I'm kind of dumb sometimes, and Judy was getting a drink at the drinking fountain at the church, and I I was like, hey, Judy, get me a drink, and I kept on walking, and she goes, isn't it amazing that I could could take water in my hand, and God has developed our hand so I could actually bring you a drink of water? I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my gosh, you're so irrelevant. Oh my God, oh my Lord. Are you you so spiritually minded that you're no earthly good? What is going on? Like, be real, be authentic. If that's really, really, really you, okay. But sometimes that's just annoying. (laughs) The last thing I'll say, stop comparing yourself to everybody's highlight reels on social media. Listen, just do it, just stop. If you can't stop doing it, then just get rid of it. And then he says, work with your hands. Now, this, isn't a, this has nothing to do with manual labor. This has everything to do with working hard. This is everything to do with paying your own way. It says everything to do, listen, if you're 42 years old and you can get a job, but you just don't want to because you're lazy and you're still living in your parents' basement, get a job. Pay your own way. And we work hard at everything. If you do get a job, if you have a job, then you work hard at your job. Because why? We can't compartmentalize our lives. We can't go to our jobs and say, hey, you should come to my church. You know, I'm a Christian. You should come to my church. And when I walk away, they go, that guy's the biggest gossip I've ever seen. See, I've compartmentalized my life. I've I've got church Greg, and I've got work Greg, and I've got home Greg, and I've got fun Greg, and none of these things. No, that's compartmentalization in the worst way. I have to be Greg the whole way through. Greg with all his warts and flaws and all of those things, but Greg who is under the influence of the Holy Spirit, so I can't compartmentalize my life. I can't do that. I can't invite people to church. I can't say what a great God that I serve and then live like hell every other day of the week. I can't do that because everything is a reflection of the Christian life. Everything is a reflection of Jesus, So don't separate your faith from your behavior. People are watching you. They wanna know, is this really real? Has Has it made a difference in your life? Has Jesus really made a difference in your life? Okay, last part. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by word from the Lord. There it is again, the authority of the word. You see it, right? We say this to you by a word from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I feel like this is like Paul's Richard Nixon moment. Let me make this perfectly clear. Apparently, there was some misunderstandings, right? Apparently, there's some things going on in, you know, with this church. They're only a few weeks old. Less, you know, we still struggle with some things. You all right? I mean, we still struggle with some things, and he's just trying to clear up some bad theology with them. Some of them were having a lot of grief and anxiety of those who have gone before, like, oh, my brother died or my, my parent died or whatever. Well, what if I die? I'm not gonna make it. Oh my gosh, Paul, what's happening? And Paul says, no, 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 no. Christ has been resurrected, so we're gonna be resurrected again. And instantly he takes them back to the basic of their faith. This is so good. He takes it right back to the basics of their faith. He said, listen, the grave is empty Jesus died and yet rose again. So as followers of Christ, our faith is built on the fact that the grave is empty. Hallelujah. Because Jesus has defeated the grave, death doesn't have the last word. That's great news. And that's what he's trying to tell them. So we don't have to wonder. He's saying, you don't have to wonder at the end of our lives. You don't have to wonder now about those who have gone on before because we will all be reunited with Jesus. Therefore... We have hope. So this gives us great hope that we don't have to grieve, we don't have to wonder, we don't have to worry about those who have gone before. Man, I gotta tell you, I've done a lot, a lot, a lot of funerals in the past 30 plus years, and there is a marked difference between a funeral that I do where the person knew Jesus and the person didn't. And the death of a Christian Man, it's different from the death of an unbeliever. Not that we don't still have pain. Listen, I lost my mom in January. Lost my dad six years before that. I'd love to hear my mom's voice again. I will. I will. This is temporary. It's temporary. Romans 6 says, "'We have been united with Christ in his death, "'therefore united with him in his resurrection.'" we're gonna be with him again, so I have hope and assurance. I don't have to worry, I don't have to be concerned. Death doesn't have the final word. And then Paul goes through this great sequence because he wants to communicate from this passage, I don't think as much about premillennialism, postmillennialism, amillennialism, I'm not gonna talk about all of those today. We don't have time for those but I really don't think that's even the point of this text. Now listen, this, I understand this is where we get our word rapture, the English word rapture, because he talks about we're all caught up with him. That's where we get this word. Now rapture isn't in the Bible. That's okay, it's a good word for it because we're gonna be caught up with him in the air. But, but listen, the point isn't when and the timing of all those things. The point is that Jesus is coming again And he's coming again, not for the brick and mortar or the chairs and the carpet. He's coming for the church of Jesus Christ. You with me? He's coming for you and me, follower. Follower of Jesus, he's coming for you. And you and I are supposed to live in such a way that we are expectant of his return. In fact, that he could come at 1008. That he could come before the service is over that he could have come last night or he could have come tonight when you're at that bar. We're supposed to live, he could come tomorrow when you're ranting about work. We're supposed to live our lives and behave in such a way that we are anticipating his return. And he's coming for those who have gone before and he's coming for those who are alive as well. So it's not much, as much about this sequence of events, although he goes through this great sequence for them, but it's because he doesn't want them to be discouraged. It's so that he's basically covering all his bases and saying, don't worry about that. The fact is Jesus is coming again. And that's why I love the Experience Community Church because we, we talk about majors and minors. We talk about the things like, these are majors, these are salvific things, the difference between heaven and hell, and these are the things that we can disagree on, and I love that about this church, because it doesn't matter to me whether you believe in the same timing that I believe in, that Jesus is coming again, or of all the timing of those events, but that he's coming again. That's the big thing, Right? And all who have gone before us are gonna be with him. So we need to encourage one another along the way as well as challenge each other along this journey. Hebrews says, spur one another on. I love that word. Spur one another on is is you're in the habit of doing. And all the more as you see this day approaching. What day? This day that Paul's talking about. The second coming of Jesus. So we encourage one another and challenge one another to live lives holy and pleasing to God. To live these sanctified lives. Again, just a big churchy word for set apart. So God has these standards for us laid out in in the fourth chapter of Thessalonians, these standards for us. And I, I'm not gonna go over all of them, but the ones that he touches on here, I want us to understand here that this process of sanctification, this process of holiness, this call never, ever, never, ever, never, never ends. It never, ever ends. That I am, in, I begin this process of, of holiness, this call to holiness, when I become a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't stop until I'm with him In other words, I'm being changed each and every day. That is a standard God is calling us to. So if listen, I'm I He's telling us these things so that because He loves us, and I'm I'm saying these things to us this morning because I love you, because I I I have to tell you, I'm immensely tired of church as usual. I'm so tired of it. I'm so sick and tired of people coming to me with the same things they've been struggling with for the last six weeks, six months, or six years. I'm going, man, this is not what God has for you. It is not the plan he has for you. You're living so far beneath where he wants you to live. You're struggling with things he doesn't want you to struggle with. And it's all in this effort to, to say, okay, God, no longer my will, but yours. And that process, friends, never, ever ends. Second thing is we're we're called to love each other. We love each other. We're, We're called to love others, not just the ones who are like us, not just those in the church, but we love them because Christ first loved us, because we were once where they are. I think we forget that sometimes. That's what I meant when I said, we're so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. We forget that, man, I once was that person. That, That was me. Man, how can I help that person along the journey? How can I love them into the kingdom? The last standard I think I want us to take away from this weekend is that obedience isn't an option. Listen, we don't don't just get to take the things out of here. This is the word of God, and this is our authority. I don't get to tear out the pages that I don't think I want to apply to my life. Well, you know, that's tough teaching, so uh, maybe I'll just let that part go. It's not an option. There's more required than just hearing the word. We have to be hearers and doers of the word. So here's where it gets hard when we start to take a, a look at ourselves. Friends, is there a visible difference between you as a follower of Christ and one who is not? Listen, if you're not following Jesus right now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even talking to you. I'm talking to the person sitting beside you maybe who's judging you or condemning you. I'm talking to the person who is a follower of Jesus, but their life doesn't look any differently from yours. And it's so interesting to me, because it can be anything. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if it's sexual immorality, the thing that he pointed to in this text. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know what it is, but is there a visible difference between you and someone who doesn't follow Jesus? Who who or what is in control? Is it power? Is it money, prestige? Is it fame? Look, I just want to be an influencer on Facebook and Instagram. Hey, that's that's fine. That's fine. That's okay. You just can't build your brand higher than Jesus. I guess the really the question here isn't is it power, money, prestige? All the who is it? Is it you? See, that's when I start to struggle. That's when I have issues, is when I'm in control of my life. When I have stopped surrendering my will for God's will. That gets me in trouble. What is it in your life that isn't pleasing to God? Man, that's, I don't know, that's probably the toughest question. Because this, standard of holiness never-ending, right, we just talked about it, it's God's standard, then there's something, isn't there, in all of us? There's something, there's something in me. There's something in me that God could refine. Is it my anger? Is it that I'm engaging in sexual immorality? Is it, is it I'm having sex with my girlfriend or boyfriend? I'm having an affair? Is it I'm drinking too much? Is it, what is it? I don't know what it is for you. Is there something in your life that isn't pleasing to God? And then lastly, are you living in anticipation of Christ's return? Are you behaving day in and day out every single day of your life in great anticipation of Christ's return? This is why I'm immensely tired of church as usual, because I think this gets placed in the back of my mind. Listen, I'm just being transparent with you. I'm just being real. I don't think of this every day. I think of what I'm having for lunch. I think of what I might do that evening. I'm thinking of the next ball game I might watch. Those are all fine and good. But in all of those things, living in such a way, each and every day, like God, is it today? (laughs) Is, Is it now? Is it in this moment? Is it like a child at Christmas? Oh, I can't wait. So I'm gonna live in such a way to please God in anticipation that he's coming back for me. (laughs) Would you bow your heads with me? Listen, I know that there's some hard, hard things we talked about this morning. I know that. but I also know that God wants more for you than just checking a box at a weekend service. Well, I went to church, I'm a Christian. Friends, there's a few ways I want you to respond. One of these ways that I want you to respond is if you are in this place and you have questions, You have questions about, I'm not even sure, Greg, what sanctification means, I'm not sure what all of this scripture is about. Mike is to my left. He's wearing one of our security shirts. Mike is to my right, your left, I'm sorry, my right. He's standing right on the corner of the stage. If you have questions about the faith, I want you to come and I want you to see Mike. Would you just talk to Mike? Just, listen, we are not afraid of questions here. Mike's been a Christian a long time. He's gonna be open to your questions. The second way you can respond is maybe you're like, Greg, yes, there have been some things I need to repent of. Would you confess and repent to someone other than yourself? The Bible says confession is good for the soul. Listen, confession, we are to confess our sins one to another that we may bear each other's burdens. There are people on my right and on my left who would love to pray with you. Listen, get that out in the light. Get it out of the darkness and let's get that healing started. And then lastly, there's communion all around the room. Wherever we see a lamp on the table, there's communion. Now listen, this is important because communion is a great way to respond this morning if you are a follower of Jesus. If you're not, the Bible says don't take communion because you eat and drink judgment on yourself. But if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, it's a chance for us to repent, to get out in the open, that thing, those things, whatever they are, that aren't pleasing to the Lord, and repent of those things, and thank him and praise him for his sacrifice. But Here's what I want us to do. We have a couple extra minutes this morning. I want you to get your communion, bring it back to your seat, and Pastor Mike is going to lead us through communion, okay? Father, thank you so much for who you are. Jesus, thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would Just take what has been talked about today, Lord Jesus, and cement it deeply in our hearts and in our minds. God, I love you so much. And I want people to know, the people I see, the people who know me, I want them to know that I love you. I want it to be so evident in my life. that the world may know. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.